Well, I encourage you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, and this morning we're going to be looking at verses 22 to 26. Let me read for us the passage. And they, that is Jesus and his disciples, came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, As we come to your word now, we ask, Lord, that by your spirit, you would illumine our minds to understand and that you would give us hearts to receive your truth this morning. Strengthen us, edify us, even rebuke us, sanctify us and save us. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, throughout the Gospel of Mark, we've seen that the miracles of Jesus are meant to testify to him being the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Not only that, we we also see that not only is he the Son of God, but he is also Yahweh himself, God in the flesh. His miracles bear witness to his person, just as his teachings do. But we've also seen how Jesus' miracles are often conveying deeper spiritual truths than the miracle themselves. His miracles are like parables, so to speak. They point us to something deeper than just the miracle itself. And we definitely see that here in this passage, as we're going to see soon enough. So Jesus has just miraculously multiplied the bread and the fish, feeding the 4,000, And then, in verses 14 to 21, he confronts his disciples over their unbelief and their lack of understanding. He says to them, though you have eyes, do you not see? And though you have ears, do you not hear? Do you not understand? And specifically, he's referencing the the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. Though they saw all that Jesus did, they're in the boat and they're complaining about the fact that they only have one loaf of bread. They didn't have eyes to see. They didn't have ears to hear. See, though they were following Jesus, the disciples' faith still wasn't where it should have been. And now they come, that is the disciples, they come with Jesus to the town of Bethsaida, which was located on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. And when Jesus and his disciples arrive there, they encounter a group of people. And these people, they bring to Jesus a blind man. 
And we're told in the passage that they are begging Jesus to touch this man. Now I want you to notice that in verse 22 to 23, there are several parallels between Jesus' encounter with the blind man and Jesus' encounter with the deaf man at the end of chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. So look at chapter 7, 31 to 37. This is just before Jesus feeds the 4,000. If you look at verse 32 of chapter 7, we read this. And they, that is a group of people, brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And then you look at verse 22 of chapter 8. What, is, what do we read? And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. But not only that, Jesus responds in a similar fashion in those two stories. So look at chapter 7, verse 33. And taking him aside, that is Jesus taking the deaf man aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Then you look at verse 23 of chapter 8 and what do we read? And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? See, I don't think this is a coincidence. In both accounts, Jesus does two very similar things. And I think Mark is trying to make a point. I think he's trying to show the nature of faith and how faith works. And we're going to see that soon enough. Think about it. In chapter 7, 31 to 37, Jesus causes a deaf man to hear. Then, in chapter 8, 14 to 21, he confronts the disciples' inability to hear and see and understand who he is in light of what he's miraculously done in feeding the 4,000. And then here, the miracle is not causing the deaf to hear, but the blind to see. So on either side of the disciples' spiritual deafness and blindness, you have two miracles where Jesus causes both the deaf to hear and the blind to see. And in both cases, he does very similar things. And it's not surprising then that following these verses, after this miracle, you have Peter and the disciples confessing that Jesus is the Christ the Messiah, the anointed one. In other words, they're beginning to see, hear, and understand who Jesus is because of Jesus. So some people, they they bring to Jesus this blind man and they, they beg him to touch him. And in verse 23, we're told that he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. So he takes him away from the populace and then he spits on his eyes. Now, most likely he spat on his own hands and then touched the man's eyes with his own saliva. And then he laid his hands on him. Now, I mentioned this when I preached on the healing of the deaf man, so we're not going to focus on it. But the spitting that Jesus does here, though it's very strange to our modern ears, this would have been an understood practice in this time. And so just as Jesus spits on the man's tongue, in order to communicate with the deaf man in chapter 7, 31 to 37, so here he does a similar thing. He relates to him in a way that he'll understand. 
But now something very strange takes place in the passage. Jesus' miraculous healing doesn't happen immediately. In verse 23, Jesus spits on his eyes and then lays his hands on him. And then he says in verse 23, do you see anything? And what's the man's response? We'll look at verse 24. He says, and he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. What a strange statement. I see people, but they look like trees walking. In other words, there has been a partial restoration to his sight. He's beginning to see again, but his sight is still blurry. It is so blurry that when he sees people, they look like trees that are walking. There's still a lack of clarity in his seeing. What's going on here? Did Jesus somehow lack the power to heal this man fully the first time? Well, of course not. There's nothing to suggest such a notion. In fact, we know that Jesus is infinite in power and is not limited by external circumstances. The minute external circumstances dictate what Jesus can or cannot do, he is no longer infinite in power. So did this man then lack faith? Possibly, but the text doesn't tell us that. See, I think Jesus is doing this intentionally because I think he's trying to make a point to his disciples about their own faith. And I think Mark, the gospel writer, is helping his readers to understand how faith often works. So Jesus touches this man and there's a level of sight that's returned to him but there's still a blurriness to his scene. So what does Jesus do? Well, look at verse 25. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. Again. And he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus touched his eyes again. And when the man opened his eyes, no longer did people look like trees moving, but he saw everything clearly. His sight was fully restored. See, what you see here is that there's a two-stage process. Two acts of grace, so to speak, by Jesus that enabled this man to see clearly. Now, what does this mean for us? What does this all mean? What is it that we need to grasp and understand here from this passage that, that Jesus would touch this man twice in order for him to see clearly? Well, first, we need to see what this tells us about Jesus. Quite simply, we need to grasp that he contains within himself the ability to cause the blind to see. He's, he's the restorer. He's the healer of fallen creation of corruption in the old testament specifically in psalm 146 8 we're told this the lord that is yahweh opens the eyes of the blind 
See, what, what's Jesus seeking to reveal to his disciples? The answer is simple, that he is Yahweh in the flesh. He alone has the authority to open the eyes of the blind. He doesn't have to call upon God because he is God, and therefore he can simply say, eyes be opened, and they open. In Isaiah 29, 18, God spoke of a day when the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness... The eyes of the blind shall see. So this action by Jesus reveals to us who he is. He is none other than God in the flesh. And he has come to restore that which is fallen and corrupt. As we're told, the man's sight was restored. See, a lot of people have this idea that Jesus comes to destroy the earth, to destroy everything. But that's not actually the picture of the scriptures He comes to bring death to that which is worthy of death, but he seeks to restore that which can be restored. That is why we are given new resurrected bodies, but we do not lose who we are as human beings. That is why the new heavens and new earth is going to be this earth, but a restored, renewed creation that Christ will will bring about by his power alone. He comes to restore fallen humanity and fallen creation and he displays this by being able to take a blind man and cause him to see. Secondly, the thing we need to see in this passage is, remember how I had mentioned at the beginning that that often Jesus' miracles are parabolic. That is, they're they're like parables. They're they're often, often conveying a deeper spiritual truth. And I think we're seeing that here. Going from blindness to sight is used in the scriptures to convey salvation. This miracle and the the two parts to it, the first touch and the second touch, him him seeing with, with blurriness and then him seeing everything clearly... I think we're being being given a visible picture of what faith often looks like in people's lives. And in this context, particularly when it comes to the disciples. See, the disciples, they, they follow Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They do have a level of faith in Jesus. They're not like the Pharisees who have rejected Jesus openly. But their faith, is like seeing men who look like trees. Their faith has a level of blurriness to it. Their faith lacks understanding. They believe in Jesus, but they don't fully see or understand fully who this Jesus is. There's a blurriness to their faith. And even after Peter confesses Jesus to be the Christ in verse 27 through 30, then in verses 31 through 33, he rebukes Jesus for the kind of Messiah Jesus is claiming to be. In other words, he believes Jesus to be the Christ, but he has a certain idea of what the Christ is. His faith is blurry. He doesn't have full understanding. He doesn't see clearly. And just as Jesus miraculously helped this blind man see clearly, so he will miraculously help his disciples to see clearly. And just as this blind man didn't see clearly right away, 
so our faith often takes time to develop and grow where we can say, I see clearly now. You see, faith works in the opposite direction of our sight. When we're all born, most of us are born with 20-20 vision. And then as we age, our sight becomes more and more blurry. But faith is the opposite. When we first come to faith in Jesus, our faith is often blurry. It's like seeing men who look like trees. We, we believe he died for us, but we don't really know who this Jesus is and, and all that he requires of us. But the longer you walk with Jesus, the longer you participate in his grace, the deeper and clearer your faith becomes. So that when we are old, though our eyes may fail us, we actually see clearer than ever before. Because our eyes of faith have grown. We see like we've never seen before. And just as Jesus is committed to healing this man's sight, so he's committed to helping his disciples see more clearly in a spiritual sense. Isn't it interesting that it's not really until after Jesus rises from the dead that the disciples truly begin to see clearly? Even at his crucifixion, they are confused. And I think it's really important we understand this as Christians, especially in the context that we're living in today. Each and every one of us are at different places when it comes to our seeing clearly through the eyes of faith. Some of us have only been followers of Jesus for a a short time, and, and you believe in Jesus and you love Jesus, but it's not as though you see all that clearly yet. There's still so much for you to learn and grow in, and guess what? Jesus is committed to helping you see more clearly just as he was committed to his disciples. Remember, they were with him three years, and for three years, over and over again, they showed that they did not see all that clearly. He is committed to helping you see clearly. Others of us have been following Jesus for a long time and and your faith has deepened and you see clearly in ways that you never did before, but there's still more to see. But I would encourage you to come alongside those who don't see as clear and walk with them and help them grow in their faith. And the other thing I think this tells us is that we need to be patient We need to be patient with people who have just come to faith. Sometimes I think we often expect people to not only repent and believe in Jesus, but we expect them to view all of life through a Christian lens when they literally know almost nothing except that Jesus loves them and that he died for them. And it means we need to be patient Understanding that that people who come to faith in our context today will still probably believe some really false things because their scene is still blurry. We aren't living in in a time where people are growing up with a Christian heritage anymore. We are living in a time where people, literally my generation and younger, have almost no background in the Christian faith. 
They don't know the basics of Christianity. They don't share the morality of Christianity. And so it is wrong of us that when they come to faith, we expect them to embrace all the things that we already understand and believe in that we were taught from a young age. No, we need to be patient with them. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in their life. I think I've used this illustration before, but at a church I once attended and was a part of, there was a young man dating a girl in the church who she claimed to be a Christian and he wasn't. But he came to faith. He heard the gospel. He understood that Jesus had died for his sins. He repented of his sins and he, he put his faith in Jesus. But he was living with this girl. And they, of course, were living a sexually immoral relationship. They were not married. And for about seven months, he was still in this relationship. She was a professing Christian. He was now a professing Christian. They were going to church regularly. They seemed, by all appearances, to be following the Lord. She did, by all appearances. Now, one Sunday, he is listening to the pastor preaching. And the pastor begins to preach on sexual morality, God's design for sexuality, and he is sitting there blown away. He's just blown away. He's never heard anything like this before. He had no Christian background. He had no church background. He had no idea what God desired in regards to our sexuality. So he's sitting there listening. And as he's listening, he he looks over to his girlfriend who did grow up in the church, and he says to her, did you know this? And she said, yeah, I knew this, but it's it's old-fashioned. So he continues listening. And at the end of the sermon, he turns to her and he says, I'm done with you. He broke up with her right there on the spot in the church. But for seven months, though he had professed faith in Jesus, though he truly was saved, he did not know what God demanded or required in regards to his sexuality. But then, as he heard God's word unfold, he began to see more clearly. His faith deepened. His understanding deepened. His understanding of what Jesus would require of him deepened. And when he gained that knowledge, he made a decision. I'm going to live a life of holiness before God, regardless of what my girlfriend decides to do. He began to see more clearly. See, Jesus was patient with his disciples as he developed their understanding. Imagine if that young man, imagine if if we had encountered him and he came to faith in Jesus Christ and, and then we found out two days later that he was still in a sexually immoral relationship with his girlfriend and so we confronted him and told him that he needed to stop doing that right away. Imagine how that probably would have hindered him. We need to allow God to work in people's hearts in his timing. That doesn't mean that we don't help people. That doesn't mean that we don't come alongside people. But we need to be patient with people as their faith goes from blurriness to clarity. So just as it was a process for this man to see clearly here in this story, so our faith often follows a similar pattern. We go from blurriness to seeing clearly. And the third thing that I want us to see is this. This man going from blindness to sight was a result of Jesus' grace toward him. And the same is true for each of us 
when we go from unbelief to faith. It's because of Jesus' grace towards us. For we cannot believe, just as a blind man cannot make himself see. But when Jesus comes to you and touches your eyes out of his sheer mercy and grace, and you begin to see for the first time. It is Jesus who gives his disciples understanding. And if you're here this morning and you're trusting in Jesus, remember it's because Jesus came and touched your eyes so that you could see and understand. And the only proper response to such an experience as that is to worship him and live for him. We began our service singing the hymn Amazing Grace. John Newton wrote the first verse seeking to explain what had happened to him when he put his faith in Jesus Christ. John Newton was a former racist and a slave trader. He made a living off of of trading African slaves. But then he encountered the grace of Jesus. But what often people don't understand... Most people think, they hear the story that that John Newton was on the the slave ship and there was a a horrific storm and he cried out to God, God, if, if you save my life, I will live for you and I will serve you. And many people think that at that moment, John Newton, John Newton stopped stopped being a slave trader. That's not what happened. John Newton came to faith, but he still began, he still was a slave trader for a long time. His faith was still blurry. He didn't understand fully what God required of him. He didn't understand why slave trading was against the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when he did discover it, when he did realize it, he put it away. He repented and he helped a young man named William Wilberforce give all of his life and effort to seeing the slave trade ended in Britain. And he wrote the words of the first verse to capture so powerfully God's grace in giving him faith. But those words that we sang at the beginning capture what God did in each of us as well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I once was lost. I didn't... Figure my way out of my lostness. I didn't find the right path. No, no. I was found. Was blind. But now I see. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us to see. Help us to behold Jesus with the eyes of faith. Help us, Lord, to see more clearly today than we did yesterday and 10 years from now and 20 years from now. Deepen our faith, Lord. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's still blind, extend your grace to them and cause them to see for the very first time the glory and the beauty and the love and the grace of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.